What if I told you that today's guest has helped coach 73 conference championships, 54 final fours, and 39 national championships? You might think it's impossible for one coach to do all that, but Dr. Jerry Lynch isn't exactly your typical coach. He doesn't coach one sport in particular, more focused on coaching and guiding athletes through the bigger game called life. He's the author of 13 books on coaching, leadership, the spirituality of sport, peak performance, and sports psychology. Dr. Lynch is also the founder and director of Way of Champions. They're a performance consulting group geared toward helping others master the inner game for peak performance. His clients have been pretty successful. Not only does he work with top players and athletes, he trained multiple Olympians and coaches, the likes of NBA world champion Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson. PGA Tour champion BJ Singh says he relies on Dr. Jerry Lynch to keep him on track for being the best in golf and all of life. And former legendary basketball coach from the University of North Carolina, two-time national champion, Coach Dean Smith said, Coach Lynch is right on target with his specific practical lessons for leadership, coaching, and winning as a champion. Some of Dr. Lynch's other books include Win the Day, Mamba Mentality, and Relentless Optimism. Dr. Lynch also has another book coming out this July, The Competitive Buddha, How to Up Your Game in Sports, Leadership, and Life. And legendary NBA head coach, six-time NBA champion of the Chicago Bulls and LA Lakers, Coach Phil Jackson said this, says, I count Jerry as a friend. He's made a difference by helping me to lead, coach, inspire, and empower my athletes to reaching their potential. This is a good time to have this book, The Competitive Buddha, end quote. When I sat down with Dr. Lynch, it was probably one of the most powerful conversations that we've had on Bringing It. I wanted to talk to Dr. Lynch about how you get the most out of people on your team. As somebody who's worked with so many elite athletes, elite performers, elite business owners, I thought that there was something there that I could learn about, that we could learn about together. I also wanted to understand how the tenets of sport transfer into the workplace. So we talked about things like competition. You want competition. You want to compete with people, not to beat them down, but you want them to inspire you. You want them to encourage you. In fact, it's a partnership of seeking together how great you can be. And the better I get as your competitor, the better you will get. Dr. Lynch has more than 30 years of experience coaching some of the world's top athletes physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I know this is an episode you're not going to want to miss. So let's bring it in. How'd you get into this? <laughs> you don't have enough time. <laughs> Neither do start I. at the beginning. Yeah, it's like I start at the beginning on that. Yeah, one. like the very first day. <laughs> How did you get into this? What a question. Uh, it's a good question, and it's always interesting to explore that. But uh, it, it's an amazing. It was an. It's an amazing journey, and as Joseph Campbell calls it, it's the hero's journey. You know, up and down, all over the place, and where I'm sitting today, and I don't mean. Uh, geographically, but uh, professionally and emotionally and spiritually uh, has been a, an amazing journey of confluence coming together of all of my passion. And uh, actually, uh, when I read the book, uh, uh, The Teachings of Don Juan many years ago as a 24-year-old, uh, Carlos Castaneda's 
gave me the right, in, the, the right uh, direction. He said, if you follow your heart, you'll never make a mistake. And uh, so I decided to take him up on it. And I have, and it's been up and down, but the downs are nowhere near the downs when you're following your heart. And uh, so following my heart meant taking together, I love writing, I, I, uh, I major in English literature. I taught English literature. I taught creative writing, so I have my writing. Uh, I love philosophy. I also had a second major in philosophy. Uh, I love sports, I'm a, I'm a gym rat. You know, I, I love the smell of a dirty gym and grew up with that at the age of four and uh, really relate to sports. And, uh, you know, so everything, you know, I'm, I'm a com highly competitive athlete. I had been on a international level sponsored by my Nike for many years. And so I saw all the relevance and all the relationship uh, came together, but that didn't happen until uh, the age of 42. And uh, I knew I'd write books, but I never knew I'd write 14 books. And I have two more on the back burner, just screaming at me to, to, to be written, but I can't do it until this book comes out because I don't want to take my focus off of this book, which is going to be a good one. And it is a good one. And so um, I just followed my heart, you know, I, wherever it went. And I, I never gave up on it. I created a niche. So initially, uh, you know, I'm talked about being a sports psychologist. Uh, that doesn't really define who I am, not only as a person, but as a professional. I think 15% of my work is sports psychology, even though I can do any sports psychology if I wanted to. But I realized that if I really want to reach people, we have to go deeper. And that deepness comes from the spirituality. And so rather than saying sports psychology, I say sports spirituality. And uh, so I'm a very, uh, uh, a very spiritual uh, viewer, observer of life. And I see all the connections of life between the heart and everything else that goes on and in life. And, you know, like the COVID, for instance, I know it's a physical crisis, but it's also a spiritual crisis. You know, we're all suffering and we're not suffering from the pain of COVID. We're suffering from lack of faith. You know, we're fearful. We're suffering from the lack of hope. And uh, people, uh, people are suffering because they don't understand uh, like a, a Buddhist com concept like impermanence and also how everything will change. And, and so I see this relationship. When I look at a basketball game and I'm watching Steve Kerr coach, I'm seeing the spirituality of his leadership. I'm seeing what he's doing as a, a leader who is a servant to his players. I don't just see he's calling the X's and O's, you know what I mean? Although I, I feel as though I know a lot of basketball and I know a lot about sports, there's something much deeper. So to your point, coming all of this distance to answer your question, uh, sport, life, leadership, it's bigger than what it is. And uh, I'm just trying to help people understand that if we take on something like sport, we can learn about ourselves, who we are, what we're about, where we're going, who we want to take with us. I just work with so many companies who um, sometimes competition is looked at as a bad thing. And I don't know where that happened. And also as a former athlete, uh, we look at competition as uh, powerful when used appropriately. I mean, can you, what do you think, I mean, how, 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 how do you respond to that? Or how, what is your perspective on why competition is a good thing? So brilliant question. 
because and the reason why it's brilliant is because whether you know it or not that question is the basis of so much discussion in the entire world today uh and so it's very relevant today it's very important and i value that question and also <laughs> may i say it's playing to the title of my next book which is the competitive buddha now when people look at the competitive buddha you know what are they thinking all these people you're talking about is that's negative wait a minute the buddha is supposed to be positive and upbeat and and holy and spiritual and you're talking about competition you're going to beat someone down no so what what i did was i did some research on the buddha and it turns out that the buddha himself was perhaps the first student athlete ever he competed as an archer he competed as a uh, a horseman uh he was an amazing wrestler amazing and uh what happened was he he says he, according to the buddha that he had learned everything about himself from those competitive days so that opens up the question well i guess competition might be helpful well yes indeed it is if you trace when we trace the word competition to its latin root it means it's it's compatiere and compatiere means to seek together sam it's a seeking together process so this book the competitive buddha what we're talking about right from the get go is look we're going to compete and we're going to compete together but you're going to be my partner and sam you're going to help me run up that hill faster because you've worked hard at your game and and you're good at what you do and and it's going to encourage me and motivate me and inspire me so i'll get the best out of myself because of you and whether it's sport or business like you're talking about a startup company when we first started this conversation if you're if if you're starting up a business you want competition you want to compete with people not to beat them down but you want them to inspire you you want them to encourage you in fact it's a partnership of seeking together how great you can be and the better i get as your competitor the better you will get and it's it is enough to go around and the buddha talks about that and so we have all of these possibilities of expanding our whole perception and that's what you're driving right here of what competition really is compatiere seeking together you know a partnership which is beautiful yeah i would have never thought that you know you, so often we think of competition as against um how has how has the uh, experience been you've worked with so many i mean i think when i did you know in the back of all of your books talks about how many national championships and all americans and you've you've the numbers i i don't think i could even quote them because they're still ro rolling where where did you get the idea for this book rooted in all of the experience you've had working with so many championship organizations this book this book has been in the making for 45 years but i never wrote it i Why? wrote other books yeah i wrote other books which were more immediate and more pertinent at the moment but this book always sort of lingered in the background you know i i'm not a buddhist i want to make that clear but i do practice the truths of of buddhist thought 
Buddhism is not a philosophy. It's not a religion. It's a, it's the truth of life. Like what goes up must come down. Uh, if you swim against the stream, you'll struggle. And uh, so I've always had these thoughts inside me and I started using them with athletes. You know, when athletes were struggling or athletes were forcing or pushing us, trying to make something happen. And the philosophy of Tao, Taoism, uh, Chinese Tao, uh, I applied a lot of that, but it didn't go deep enough in my mind. And, and, and so what I did was I started reading a lot about uh, the Buddhist way of looking at things like competition, for example. And I realized that uh, when I did the research, I got up one morning, it was December 19th, 2020. And I got out of bed and I sat down right where you're looking at me right now. And I jotted down about 15 or 20 thoughts that I was having during my sleep. Next morning, I got up and I started researching it. And what I found was astounding to me, Sam. Everything that I could find, all my research was relating the whole idea of Buddhist thought to athletics, to life, and using athletics as a microcosmic classroom for learning about leadership, coaching, performance. And all of this stuff started popping up. And I thought to myself, my, I've never seen this before. I've always thought about it. And now people are, people are doing this. I mean, you know, in the book I have, I'll just read a couple of things, titles to you. In, in, in the one section, Buddha and, and sports conversions, I'm talking about the Kung Fu nuns of the Himalayas. Nuns being athletic, using Buddhist thought. The marathon monks of Mount Hei, Hai, uh, the dancing Kaizen quakes. Uh, that's about the uh, San, San Jose earthquakes, uh, which is one of my teams. And, and, and they love the concept of Kaizen and uh, uh, the mindful women of Maryland lacrosse and Pacific Buddhist dragons. That's a high school that's using Buddhism with sports. And I started to see all this stuff and I thought, wow, now I could really explore how I can get all of this stuff that was in my heart out on paper and, and distribute it to people so that people can now make the connection. Leaders in industry, leaders in the military, leaders in church groups, mothers, fathers, parents, whatever, leaders of Boy Scouts, whatever it is, what they could do now is they could see the relevancy of these truths, these, these values of impermanence and, and, and letting go, you know, detachment and how that works, not only in sports, but in life. So I use sports as, as the vehicle and, and, and so we get on that train and it transports us into deeper places inside that we never even knew existed for ourselves. Sure. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because the, so, you know, so much of your writing is centered around, you know, sports and athletics is a core part of your audience and the people you speak to. And I don't know, I just, as a, sales manager who's worked in a bunch of different industries it's not uncommon for people to use sports analogies inside of a boardroom right or to you know excite or motivate or inspire their people um but i, I also wonder at times because you know some 
sometimes, especially today, more than ever, it's harder to keep people together. It's harder. It's organizations are struggling to stay connected, being apart. You mentioned COVID is one of them. What, what is the most important message today from your work for business leaders who are going to be the ones responsible for um, developing, leading, and coaching the athletes you you know you you talk about in the future? I've done a lot, Sam, a lot of uh, research on leadership. In fact, uh, I spend probably right now today rather than working with teams per se, uh, maybe 90% of my work is uh, researching and implementing leadership qualities and strategies uh, that, uh, that will help us become the kind of leaders that we really desire to be. Uh, my leadership, uh, by the way, my interest in leadership goes way, way back. Uh, I, was a, I, was a, uh, I was born in a family where my father was really, uh, quite a leader. He, he was a, uh, a New York City fire chief. Um, he worked down in uh, lower Manhattan. In fact, he had retired before 9-11. Otherwise, he would have been there. Uh, and uh, as a little boy, as a 13-year-old, I'll just tell you this quick story. Uh, one of my activities during the summer was to go over and visit my dad at the firehouse and spend the day with my dad. And what he would do is uh, he would allow me to come in the chief's car when they went to a fire. And we'd ride through lower Manhattan with the sirens blasting, going to a fire. He'd jump out of the car and I'd watch what he did. And I saw how he led men. And I saw how men would react to him. That was the day before, days before women were not part of the firefighting group. And, and I would notice this. And I was very, very taken by that. And it sunk in. And... Uh, when I got out of uh, college, I went to teach uh, English literature, but uh, the draft board came after me during Vietnam and uh, I went into the service and I chose to go in as a Navy officer. So as, an, as a young man at the age of 24, 25, I was leading like 150 men. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. And, and there were people that were lifers that were leading other men you know, sergeants and, and, and chiefs in the Navy, and, and, and they were leading people like for 25 years. And, and I came along and I just like said, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm gonna learn from you a lot. And, and so I did, I sat back and I learned a lot from that. But you know, to your point about leadership, I think it's simple, but it's not easy. And I want to read something to you, if I may, but uh, I have a section in the Competitive Buddha. It's called the Buddha Heart for Transformative Leadership. And uh, what I talk about in there is uh, servant leadership, being a servant as an attitude. Like, let's look at Steve Kerr. Let's look at Pete Carroll. How about Phil Jackson? How about any great coach that you, you know, you and I know? They all have the... They all come into the, uh, the picture as servants. They want to serve and be the best servants that they possibly can be. And that's based in, in, in certain qualities and values that they have. And, and we learn from these people what it takes to really lead other people. 
and what shows up are certain qualities. And those qualities are connection. God, they really know how to connect with their players. You know, I look at my father. He really knew how to connect with his men. They adored him. He was tough. I mean, he demanded. He was very demanding. This isn't like a love fest where anything goes. It's like, you got to do this. You got to step up. And I'm demanding this from you. But it was done in a tone where people felt loved. They felt important. They felt valued and respected and relevant. And those are important concepts because if, if I could make you feel that way, you're going to perform at a higher level. And, and, and so it comes from connecting with people. And how do I connect with you, Sam? I connect with you, you know, I'm going to say something. When, when you say something that's significant, I'm going to let you know it's significant. I said to you a few minutes ago, you know, that was a brilliant question. And it was. But I want to make sure I let you know that. And, and so my connection with you comes from the more I make you feel relevant, important, valued, empowered, respected, you're going to walk out on a plank and jump into the deepest pool as a, as a kid than you ever would have if you, if you didn't feel that way. So leadership is all about that connection. And, and connection leads to caring. And caring leads to love. Now, here's where I lose 90% of the people. Most people think, what is he talking about? Is this some weird guy from California who wants to talk about leadership and love, right? You know, I mean, it's like, come on. No, no, we're not talking about romantic love. What we're talking about is a deep feeling of caring for someone else, so much so that they will, they will go the distance for you. They will, they will get down on the floor in the basketball court on all fours and lick the dust off the floor if that's what it takes to clean it for you, the leader, the coach. And so, so love becomes this way we communicate. It is, by the, by the way, love is, as a, as a strategy, it's the most, most powerful success strategy in leadership of anything coming out of Harvard Business School. You go to Stanford Business School and you learn all these strategies about leadership and what have you. Love is the most important, powerful. Let me read you something. This is from my book, Win the Day. You're familiar with that. And yep. you're familiar with the coach on that cover. Yep. As am I. But let me read you this passage. It takes a number of critical factors to win an NBA championship. Talent, creativity, intelligence, toughness, and there's some luck. But if you want to lead a team that's successful, if they don't have the most essential ingredients, none of those factors matter. The most essential ingredient in my leadership is love for my players. That's a quote from Phil Jackson. You know, when you watch Steve Kerr, you know, he gives Steph Curry a pat on the butt, get in there. What you don't hear on television is something I hear if I'm sitting close by, and that is, I love you, big guy, go get him. And, you know, my children all understand that because we brought them up in, a, in an environment of love. I led as a dad with love. 
I was demanding. They knew it. I required certain things of them behaviorally. We set the boundaries, but they always knew they were important. They were valued. Here's another quote real quickly. Sun Tzu, that's written 25,000, 2,500 years ago in his ancient book, The Art of War. By the way, a must-read book for all leaders, right? You're nodding your head yes, and it's like, who hasn't read it? Raise your hand. Go read it, right? The Art of War, he emphasizes the importance of love and leadership. He strongly encourages leaders and generals to take care of the troops as they would take care of a child who was loved. He says that by loving others, the chances of victory are greatly enhanced. So summing it up, what we wanna do is when I'm training leaders, coaches, industry, doesn't matter, sports, I wanna make sure they learn how to connect with those whom they are leading. I wanna make sure that they can demonstrate caring and love, be authentic and genuine, and also be vulnerable. And vulnerability is the risk that I'm willing to take all the time to make connection with people. And that's, you know, if I could get every one of the listeners here who, are, who consider themselves leaders to, to think about this, maybe, maybe you have to read the book, maybe you don't, maybe you have other ways of learning it. But in the book, I, I really make it really, really clear how the Buddha taught us leadership 2,500 years ago, and it's more relevant and more important today than it's ever, ever been, especially what we've gone through in this last several years. We spend so much time trying to find the magic bullet, the ingredient that we read, you know, we, we read 11 rings by Phil Jackson to try to find three or four things to put into play. And without almost like the core, if not understanding what you're talking about at your core, do those systems ever, do they, they don't work, do they? Not at all, no. Well, listen, we, we have data for that. And, and what we have to do is ask that question individually of ourselves. How is that working for you? If you're not, if you're not having, if, if your leadership work is, is not productive, effective, if it's not fun, Wow, what a concept. Imagine having fun. Yeah, it should be right. a lot of fun too, right? You watch the joy on the face of a good leader. If it's not there, then you must ask the question, what do I need to do? Or even better, how do I need to be in order to create more traction with my leadership? You know, and, and, and what it boils down to, and, and, and this is universal. I, I mean, I have confidence, Sam, in saying this, I, I don't go outside my boundaries. If I don't know something, I don't go there. You know what I mean? I, I don't pretend I know something when I don't. But this I do know. And, and, and this is 40 years of observing good leadership and reading dozens and dozens and dozens of books, but it all comes down to one thing. And, and I know great leaders who have never read a, a leadership book in their life, but it all comes down to being mindful. And I use that word cautiously, which means being aware, be aware that great leadership is all about winning the relationship game. Our success today, you and I together, I've never met you, although I feel real comfortable right now. Uh, I feel connected with you. I'm sure you feel that way with me. 
And it all comes from me and you, the awareness. This is about a relationship. No relationship, no leadership, no coaching, no parenting. It just doesn't happen that way. So if nothing, if nothing matters, I shouldn't say nothing matters. Everything matters in some form. But if, if there's one thing that, you, that we all need to realize is that it's not about winning the basketball game. It's not about winning the contract or getting this client. It's really about winning that relationship game. And once you establish a trusting, respectful relationship that's genuine and authentic, and, it, and it's laced with love, now we're talking about true leadership. Now people will follow you to the end of the earth or wherever it goes. And, and I've seen this with all of these great people we're talking about. They all have that magic sense. All the great coaches in, in sports today know it's all about the relationship game and winning that game. I love that. I, it, it makes me think that it's not something that's a switch either, right? I mean, I'd imagine that my relationship with my wife and my daughter and my relationship with my coworkers and my relationship with my, you know, uh, friends, that relationship mindset has to cut through all of it. It can't just be in isolation. You're going to be a good leader at work. Well, I mean, first of all, you have to have a good, well, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. We, as you do one thing, you do all things. Like as I'm being with you right now, if I leave my office and I go to my family and, you know, my kids are home during COVID and what have you. So we have a family together. If I'm not being the way I'm being with you and I go and I have a different relationship with them in terms of my strategies, I, not only am I being hypocritical, but I'm being ineffective. As you do one thing, you do all things. I get up in the morning, I make my bed. That sets the stage for the rest of the day. Making your bed is a nice metaphor for how I'm gonna lead others during the day. I'm gonna pay attention to details. So it's an attitude that permeates your soul. It's, it's an attitude that, that fits skin tight over your spirit. You've got to want to win the relationship game. And then you need to know these strategies that I'm talking about and that I defined so well in the competitive Buddha, a whole section on leadership. Once we start practicing this, these strategies, then what happens is we start seeing changes and it must be done with your wife and child, your daughter. It must be done in your office with your uh, coworkers but more than anything, it must be done with you. You have to have a good relationship with yourself. Show me a leader who is struggling to have a relationship with his coworkers, and I'll show you someone that doesn't have a good relationship with themselves. You know, it, it really does start there. It starts from the inside that works outward. If I love myself, I have the capacity to love others. If I don't love myself, then what's gonna happen is, is I'm going, to, I'm going to be dysfunctional in, in relationships. I'm not going to be able to uh, understand why someone's doing something. And, and I won't have 
one of the most important elements in leadership too is, is compassion. It's another wonderful thing. Phil Jackson even said without compassion, there would have never been the Chicago Bulls. You know, they had to have a lot of compassion there. They had a lot of different characters on that team and they had to have compassion for each other. And, and, but we have to have self-compassion because if you don't and you're down in yourself, that impacts everything you do and say and how you act. So you have to have a good relationship with yourself and you have to be good to yourself and not like so much so that you think so much of yourself, you can't think of others, but you have to take care of yourself. And it starts here. Love that. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I have to ask you just one more question if, if you can. And I, there's just speaking directly to individuals out there who are um, out of work, who are disrupted by COVID, who are um, maybe working frontline jobs and are going and are trying to take control of um, maybe their own upskilling to find the next job. And I set that up because in the beginning of the competitive Buddha, you make the comment, Buddha brain, Mamba mind. And I want to ask, because I think there's, there's a relevance there. You know, there's a connection there for those, for the specific audience of the worker in our workforce today, who's trying to level up and trying to keep their feet moving forward. Am I right? I mean, what do you, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, you're right. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and your laughter tells me that. So, so uh, all I'll do is uh, I'll affirm and validate uh, your observation. And, uh, you know, it's a tough time. COVID has really been an interesting time for me personally and from, for the world. And although uh, in many ways it, it's, it's, it's very difficult and challenging uh, in terms of the physicalness and the wellness and being safe and all of that. It's also a time for amazing potential growth and connection. Ironically, connection, and we're talking about social distancing. And by the way, I don't, I don't like that word, social distance. I, I wish they would get rid of the social distancing. Let's have physical distancing, yes. But let's have social connection. And they're not mutually exclusive. How far away are you from me right now? Yeah. But we're connecting. And that's important. It's important to have conversations. And it's important to, uh, to open our hearts and say, you know what? We're all in this together. What can I do to serve you? That's why I'm doing this podcast. Of course, I get benefits from it. I get benefits from this, Sam, for sure. But my whole intention is not to win people over so they can buy my books. My whole intention is not to make a living out of this. My intention is to make a difference. I know that what I'm talking about, if taken to heart, could be life-changing. I know this. You know, I've been around long enough to see those changes take place and to observe what happens as a result of people thinking and connecting and caring and loving and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> you know, but this, this idea of uh, 
of struggle is, is not a bad thing. It's, it's, you know, we're trying to categorize things. It, actually, I think it's, it's one of the better things that has happened. Now, come on. I mean, I, I don't want to see people die because of a, a virus. I don't want that. You know, that doesn't make me feel good. Uh, but on the other hand, since we're in this together, what can we make out of it so that this crisis becomes an opportunity? And, and, and the opportunity is how can we better connect and, and take advantage of that? And, and, and how can we, how can we, you know, like a lot of fathers and mothers are home now more. So, so there's a chance to be with their kids and see their kids grow up. I don't know if you feel that in, in yeah, my, my, yeah, my four-year-old daughter runs, you know, she's running around all over the place. And, but yeah, at the same point, I would have never had those moments. Uh, so many great, just, you know, having lunch together. <laughs> it's yeah, just like right? these little having moments. Having lunch together. What a concept, right? Yeah. Now, so, so our world, people say, let's go back to what's normal. This is normal. This is what the normal is. And normal has gotten better, I think. I think there are more people that are connected, that are caring, that are aware and more mindful of the important things in life than they were before this. And I think back to this whole discussion on leadership, I think one of the most important things for us as leaders, and you're clearly one of the, one of the leaders in this industry doing the work you're doing with me and others, uh, Sam, Clearly, what we need to do is we need to find ways to serve others and to help others, because when we do that, there's that sense of meaning and that sense of fulfillment. And that's what I said to you. I'm not I'm not in it. I'm not here today to uh, to make any money or make make anything other than a difference. And, and, and so COVID is really giving us so many opportunities that we, we didn't have before. Now, I am also realizing at the moment, I probably didn't answer your question, did I? When I was. Going, going back through your book several times, the, the message of mindfulness is something I'm trying to work on personally. And I feel like it's something that, um, to your point, is uh, if it's something at the root of what can create an environment where leaders can be better, not just personally, but for their community, I think that's so important right now. Well, it's, it's our job. I mean, this is our main work as, as leaders, as parents, as, as adults. Our, our main work is let's create uh, let's create environments that really that really work, all right. For the, for the one of another word, and and the only way to do that is to keep them safe, keep them upbeat, positive, uh, have people feel like they're accepted and that they're valued and that and that they're important, but never overlook as a leader, never overlook the concept of your influence and mine, our influences are never neutral. I mean, I, I could walk into a room of 3,000 coaches, which I have done, and, and I could light that room up. Everyone lit up, wow. Or I could cast that into darkness. To light it up, I need to connect. They need to feel that I really care about them, that they really are valued and that they're really important. So I'm hitting the same points over and over again with different examples with what you bring up. And, and, and that's why I think this book is life-changing, The Competitive Buddha, 
really not only talks about these concepts, but I help people to implement them. Because it's it's one thing to read a book and say, God, that's pretty, but how do I do that? You know, like Sun Tzu, right? When you read Sun Tzu's book, the thing that's lacking in that book, and God, I, I sound like a heretic, right? I mean, this is one of the greatest yeah. books, probably the, the, the most read book in the world other than the Bible, right? And here I am saying his shortcomings are, but I, I came away from my first reading of that book, not knowing how I can practically use that stuff. I knew, I knew in my heart, he's saying something really powerful. So, so what I did was my, one of my co-authors, uh, Al Wang, who's Chinese, I got him to translate the book for me. And, and one of my books that you're probably familiar with is called The Way of the Champion, right? Yep. And, and the subtitle is The Teachings from Sun Tzu's Art of War. And all I do in that book, The Way of the Champion, is I take the art of war from uh, Al Wong's translation and I make it practical. I make it accessible so that we can implement these amazing, brilliant, with this amazing, brilliant wisdom from 2,500 years ago. And uh, I'm trying to do that with the Buddha as well in, in the competitive Buddha. But it's all about learning. And uh, I've been at it a long time as a leader. And uh, I think I'm about halfway there. <laughs> I think. Well, keep, well, keep going. Keep going. I, oh, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> I'm not going to stop. Uh, I've, I've opened too many doors and, and I've had too much joy and fun with this. And uh, I continue, but there's so much more for me to learn. And, and I really do love the opportunity to learn. I learned today, just talking with you from your questions, your questions enlighten me and, and open up doors that maybe I haven't been thinking about. And uh, I hopefully, hopefully this was meaningful for the people who are listening. That's, that's this my job. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Lynch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the book's release. And we're going to put a big stack here in the office when it when it comes out. Really, that that would be astounding. That would be wonderful. You know, I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Lynch. You know, as someone who has a lot of experience in the sports world, I think it's a really common mistake to think of coaching just as a physical thing. You know, if you're in a good place emotionally in the other areas of your life, you're going to perform well. You're going to perform well on the court. You're going to perform well on the field. You're going to perform well in any of the day-to-day -day activities in your workplace. Like Dr. Lynch said, when I'm training leaders, coaches, industry, doesn't matter, sports, I want to make sure they learn how to connect with those whom they are leading. I want to make sure that they can demonstrate caring and love, be authentic and genuine, and also be vulnerable. You know, I didn't think we were going to be talking about love on this podcast, but it makes sense. I also think Dr. Lynch made some great points on the power of competition. You know, we've had talent leaders ask us if, uh, with our product at One Huddle, can they turn the leaderboard on? They would say it because they say they're worried that competition won't be a good thing. It'll be tough for team morale. And I always have said no, because at One Huddle, we know competition, when it's done right, is a good thing. Like Dr. Lynch said, the point of competition isn't to beat one another down, it's to raise each other up. A little healthy competition can help us 
to be our best, and it keeps us motivated and inspired whether we're playing a sport or playing our coworkers. So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Lynch. I've been a big fan of the book, so it was awesome having the chance to finally talk to you and have you on the pod. Got somebody you want to recommend be on the pod? You know, we're already pretty much booked up for season two, but we're already taking names for season three. If you got a name you want to suggest, email our marketing guru, Donna, at onehuddle.co. That's D-A-N-A at the number one huddle.co now. And now, back to work.